Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart Coors Brewing Company Golden Colorado and as always celebrate in 2003 Nike signed 13 year old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract but Freddie didn't live up to the hype he is turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career until now people are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be i'm grant wall and this is american prodigy freddie adu from blue wire podcasts hi this is ruben off the cheek i'm pat nevin i'm mason mount you're listening to the london is blue podcast all right chelsea fans welcome back to another episode of the london is blue podcast uh look we've got the matt law special today and that's that's what you're here for but before we get into that before matt jumps in all right uh it is the week of thanksgiving here for us in america and uh we want to take a quick opportunity uh, to just share some things we are thankful for uh, around the Chelsea community, all right? And so um, a lot more to come with Matt and everything we get into, but right now I will just lead it off. We are so thankful for the listeners that we have to our podcast. The lifeblood of what we do is definitely uh, comes from our ability to engage with you and have fun conversations after the podcast but was discussed because – um, just watching Chelsea for 90 minutes once or twice a week is not enough for us. And apparently it's not enough for you either. So we, we love that relationship we have with you. And then the broader Chelsea community, right? The, the people that we've gotten to meet, uh, the people we've gotten to connect, it is just uh, the, the main kind of reason behind what we do is to build the Chelsea community to be as big as we can. And we just look at our role is to bring more people into the fold so we can have more Chelsea fans in this amazing community. So for you two, uh, a huge thank you, uh, a special place in our heart. But um, Nick, minus pumpkin pie, you also have a lot of room for your great things in your heart. That is right. Massive, massive heart over here, ready to roll. Um, gobble, gobble, everybody. It tis, tis the day. Uh, I think, I think for me, it, you know, this has obviously been a, a really stressful, tough year for a lot of people. Um, it, it's important that. You know, we're all safe and healthy and we're able to make it, you know, back to the bridge at some point together uh, as, as a large supporters group. So I would just encourage everybody to stay safe. I know these holidays are probably not going to be ideal for, for many out there. It's certainly not going to be ideal for me personally. 
Um, but it's a small sacrifice uh, to, to have uh, more in the future. And I think uh, if, if you are going home, if you are going to be around friends and family, just be as safe as you can. Uh, there are a ton of healthcare workers out there who have been doing uh, the Lord's work for uh, a number of months now, and they, they need our support and they need a break. Um, so just want to encourage that. I know it's a not, not a Chelsea message. It's not the most uplifting message, but um, it, it's in, it's an important one, right? Um, and I, I just want to thank all those frontline workers who have been, you know, delivering my groceries this year as I didn't want to go to the store or whatever. Um, I think it's it's all really uh, important to kind of put everything in perspective, Dan. So uh, that's what I am thankful for. I mean, there's a lot to be thankful for. I think uh, anyone who's had good health this year is something that you can't take for granted, uh, not in any year, but even maybe more so in this year. I, I'm super thankful for, for you two. I mean, I think we think about, you know, just in the isolation, right, of, you know, even, uh, you know, being here with my, my spouse, you know, you kind of get into using the same space and being in the same area and getting to talk about Chelsea. I think one of the reasons we did so many shows during the lockdown period to begin with is because we were missing that that social connection that we were getting every day with, with going into work and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you, uh, after the fact, remember my birthday and uh, got me a very nice bottle of bourbon uh, for birthday week and for the holidays here. So that was wonderful. After um, the fact. I found out it was your birthday <laughs> on LinkedIn. What are you talking about after the fact? You wrote the damn script. <laughs> um, well, thank you. Thank you, Dick. Um, but you know, I think the other the other one I want to thank people for is just, you know, we have such an, as Brandon kind of teed it off, an amazing group of listeners who, you know, have risen to the occasion on times where we've maybe pointed a spotlight on things. And, uh, you know, this time this year, you know, the start of the pandemic with Feeding America and then uh, during some of the, you know, uh, tougher times kind of tackling racial injustice and uh, police brutality with some of the Black Life Matters uh, charities that we kind of helped to do some fundraising around, uh, blown away each time. And there's definitely more that we have on our list of things that we want to accomplish and, and do with those this year. But uh, it always amazes me just how how much people want to support those things, how much people will kind of rise to the occasion. And uh, it's just, it's truly inspiring. Yeah. I mean, there, Brandon, there are no more thoughtful uh, generous group of supporters uh, in the podcast world than than ours, and I think even as people were struggling this year, you know, we, we got we got texts and, and messages from people saying, "Hey, I don't have a lot, but I'm willing to donate something because I'm I believe in this, right?" And that's that's what it's all about. Yeah, very very powerful and inspiring inspiring to to hear that and to see it come to life. So again, if you've engaged with us, if we've participated in in hanging out in some form over the season if you supported a cause again just thank you and we also want to encourage you to go tell people in your life that you're thankful of them as well let's continue to pass this forward we don't need it back to us okay we want to push it out and we want you guys to continue to push it out amongst your circles uh, your family your friends someone who has done something to make your life a little bit easier this year uh, please do take the opportunity to thank them um, and share in the positivity that uh, they can come from from this time of year, especially as we head into, you know, the holidays with with Christmas and and the other holidays. I guess I should say that that are around this time. It's a 
we want to bring some positivity back in the world right now. So thank you, yeah. listeners. And and without no nope. no oh, oh I got I got a I got a final oh, gift. Oh all right. I got a final gift. A little teaser, if you will. Uh, we have been teasing merch for some time. Uh, be because of my laziness and my laziness alone, we have no. not achieved it. But it's coming. We are getting much much closer. We did a little mini review this week and we're really excited about some of the stuff that, that's coming down the uh uh the shop and and you know all the different options that we have so hopeful that in the next week or two that we're going to be able to stand something up and and hopefully have some merch options out there for fans who have been waiting a very long time <laughs> for this thing so i wanted a little gift a little gift a little gift but that's how not how we should end it though it's the 90th minute of the Thanksgiving feast, mm. there's one serving left no. of every side. No. Every side imaginable. What are you going to? Mm. You're mm-hmm. first up. I'm in the spot. Yeah. Okay. I'm in the spot. Let's see. Because you've had such a big plate and it's heavy. I'm probably going to go. I'm probably going to go stuffing again. I'm going back to the well because calories don't count on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Brandon's going to go with a nice salad, obviously. That's <laughs> that's where he's going to go. Look, honestly, at the end of the day, you need to think about digestion, all right? <laughs> you just <laughs> piled in. You need something. like because uh, I Look, I, my favorite just go-to in general is I'm not going to say it's my last serving. Always the mashed potatoes, right? That's a lot of starch. That's... It's gonna cause a lot of a lot of digestive enzymes to be produced in your stomach to help help get through that. But look, I'm always a big fan of the classic mashed potatoes. No gravy, just butter and salt. I'm good. Mm-hmm. It has has to be stuffing. Two two to one, decisive victory for yep. stuffing Go on this podcast. It. We stand stuffing. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> we'll everybody. go stuff your faces. Enjoy yourselves. But anyways, without any further delay, it is the Matt Law special. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. This is the third time I've said that this week, and I am excited. Uh, pretty much pulling two pods in 12 hours, but it's the Matt Law special. All right, so we've got Matt back on. As always, your host, Brandon, join me, Nick and Dan. So, uh, look, Matt, we're super excited, as always, to have you on. But again, the, the Antonio Conte piece you dropped recently uh, was fantastic. We've had a lot of conversations in the Discord, a lot of conversations on the socials, as I'm sure you have on this one. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, we're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Josie Mourinho and, and maybe some anecdotes ahead of the Spurs match. Um, but I guess just real quick, kind of turn it over to you. How, how did the kind of Antonio Conte come about? Um, how was that for you being on the other side? I mean, it's been a couple years, really, since we've... We've heard from Antonio Conte at his time in Chelsea and some things like that. So, yeah, we'll just kind of keep it general to, to kick it off. Yeah, yeah. Well, Inter Milan, I've got to say, were very accommodating. Um, they they kind of facilitated the whole thing for us. It's an interview I've been trying to get ever since he left, but for one reason or the other, it's, it's taken a while. I was meant to go out there a little while ago before COVID, Um I think something around the England team happened that meant I couldn't travel over there. I had to cover something over here instead. So that got postponed and then COVID happened and eventually Milan were like, let's just do it on, on Zoom. So the Milan officer set, set it up with a, a laptop his end and, and I was in, I was sitting where I'm sitting now doing it and we had about 45 minutes on Zoom. 
And uh, yeah, it was it was great. It was one of those where some interviews you don't have to transcribe, but you know, we use tape recorders these days. You don't sit doing it shorthand. And a lot of interviews, you don't have to transcribe the whole tape. You know, in, in 40 minutes, there's maybe 20 minutes of interesting stuff and 20 minutes of kind of fluff. And you just transcribe the best bits. But with, with Conte, it's full transcription. It took me quite a long time because you needed every single word of to get the full context and, and everything he said. I barely left out anything. Everything he said was interesting. Was there a story or fact, you know, because you had the benefit of covering him, of getting to, to know him during the time he was at Chelsea, what was the thing that surprised you the most? Was there a story or an anecdote that really just you didn't re pick up on when you were covering him that you got to see more clearly now? Um, the thing that struck me about him, I I'm not fully answering you. I, I will come around to your question, try and give you a proper answer on that question. The thing that really struck me about him that I wasn't expecting, though, was how conciliatory he was about everything. You know, he wanted to... I thought he might carry on his war with Diego Costa, for instance. And he wanted to get his point across on Costa, but he also wanted to make it clear that they'd won a league title together and he was never going to forget that. And whatever had happened between them didn't take away from that. He was really interested on Abramovich. I didn't know the... This is more answering your question now, Dom, that, Dan, that I didn't know that... Um, I knew Abramovich had visited Cobham a lot, but I didn't know that Abramovich was kind of asking him for videos of games and videos of preparation and real in-depth kind of stuff. I, I always assumed that Abramovich would come into the training ground and just kind of have a coffee with him and talk about how things were generally. But clearly, he was a lot more involved with that. You know, he wanted videos. He wanted to go and watch them train. He wanted... I think Conte had to give him a presentation maybe after the Arsenal game when they lost, when it was all looking quite bad. I think he had to give a presentation about how how he felt he could turn it around, what his plans were. I'm told that that presentation went really well. And I, I really wasn't aware of the level of detail that Abramovich wanted of him and, and quite how involved he was back then. That, that was probably the main thing that took me by surprise. Uh, you mentioned the, the tone of the article, and I think that's it, with some of the answers. Some of the, you know, that stood out to me is it, it wasn't straight to war it was kind of a little bit softer do, do you think his time at Inter and maybe current circumstances have impacted the way he's reflecting upon Chelsea or is it something I that think, he's just over it now and, and maybe ready to move on yeah I think he is over it now I think they you know they had a pretty bitter split in the end which I think he was upset about at the time um you know two years or so has passed now and I, I think he's over it I think he's He's looking ahead and now he looks back on Chelsea with a lot of fondness. I think he rates it. I think he rates his first season as his finest achievement in, in management, winning the, the Premier League in his first season. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think that bitterness has left him. I, I think there's still a sense of what might have been. I really got the sense from him that he felt he could create a legacy, that he felt he had, he had put the club in a position to to go and really dominate for years. Um, I mean, that's his side of the story. Um, there are other people at Chelsea who've got another side to that story. And also, I think it's worth pointing out that Conte obviously talks a lot about himself. I mean, I was asking him about himself. But, you know, it, it can make it look that it was all just him and it wasn't all just him. It was a, it was a team effort and they, 
they succeeded as a team and they, they sort of failed as well as a team. And I think he would take some responsibility for that. But I, I do feel that he really felt that at the end of that first season, he could create a squad and a team that could go on and either win or be right in there challenging for a very long time. And he feels sad that he thinks he didn't quite get that chance. Yeah, I think that, you know, is is there's so much to dive into this. So again, like definitely go check it out on um, the Telegraph site. It, uh, it it touches on a lot of different things. I think that's really interesting. So like covered a lot of ground in 45 minutes, especially mm-hmm. with Antonio Conte. Like he can kind of be, you know, in his mind and, and take it, you know, based on the press conferences we saw for two years. Um, but, you know, as, as we as you touched on the the signings of players, you know, I'm always maybe a little hesitant to take it at face value. But I, I have two questions about this. So obviously he said Lukaku and Van Dyke were the two main ones that he felt would like in improve the team massively he's like look i'm doing lukaku now inner like i told you so moment um but i always so my question is one were those just like his signings or was it like how do you know how involved the club were about them did they have a different approach or like no we understand those are good players but we're trying to do something different so do you know where the breakdown was on that and was this hindsight of him being like look how good van dyke is see if i only had him of course we would have won everything he he did i remember at the time i mean without antonio this is this part it was a very interesting part of the interview but it didn't surprise me because i did report on it at the time you know he wanted lukaku and, and van dyke i remember it and he had a lot of support from the club um they they did genuinely try and sign those two players. They thought they had them both. You know, I'm told Van Dyke went in for meetings with them um, and and kind of gave them the impression that he wanted to join. That one changed massively when Klopp got to Van Dyke. Um, I think Chelsea would probably tell you that, that Conte himself was partly responsible for them not signing Van Dyke because I think I think Klopp charmed Van Dyke. I think Klopp got into him and really got into his head and charmed him to, to Liverpool. And I, I suspect Chelsea think that that Conte could have done maybe a little bit more to to sell the club from his perspective and not just leave it to the club to, to get that signing. Lukaku was a problem because Lukaku, Conte had put a lot of personal investment into. A huge fan of the player. Obviously, there's the link there already. We know that Emanalo was a huge fan of the player. The, the fact they didn't sign him became a real issue because he could not understand how they missed him. He really could not understand how they missed him. And it created a problem. And look, as reported at the time, they, they missed him because of an agent. You know, the agent wanted certain agent fees. Chelsea, perhaps incorrectly, thought that they were probably the only club that Lukaku was realistically going to join. So thought they could sit back and drive a bargain while on the quiet, you know, the agent was was doing something with United and there was a huge fallout. Chelsea still tried to hijack that deal right at the last moment, you know, even though they'd kind of missed him to United just before he actually signed for United, they tried to hijack it back um, and, and failed. So yeah, they, they got close on both. Conte, I mean, Conte definitely at one stage thought he had both players in the door. Um, and the, the Lukaku miss was the the one that caused issues going forwards. When you also look at some of the player personnel items, I know you mentioned Diego Costa, who never caused controversy with anything that he did. Mm-mm. What was the sense, you know, you mentioned, 
you know, in the the writing, he kind of talked about the situation, what he tried to do. Could you talk a little bit more, elaborate on the the tone that he had as he was telling his side of the story and how that came across to you? Yeah, like I say, he um, it was it was interesting because he his his first thought was to make it clear that he didn't want to make anything worse between himself and Costa. He didn't want to attack him. He he wanted to make it clear that he, they should remember the, the year when they won the league together. And in actual fact, in, in Conte's head, Conte, the reason Conte doesn't feel there was anything wrong with his text message that he, he sent to, to Costa, because in his head, the player had made it clear for a whole season that he wanted to move. Chelsea had, had said, no, we want you for this season because we're going to win the league and we need you to win the league. They had an argument within that season, if you remember, when I think there was a blow-up in the, in the car park at the training ground when um, when Costa in the January tried to get out to China. Um, but again, they diffused that situation and got on with it. And I think in Conte's mind, and I, I sort of have sympathy with him on this, he, I, he just got to the stage where, look, we, we managed it for a season, we won the league together. If you want to go, go. You're, you're not going to be part of my plans now because I can't have another season of you just asking to leave every five minutes and in January trying to force your way out. So he didn't feel, he didn't feel his text message was dropping any sort of bomb. He just felt it was a, you know, thanks for the season we've had together. Good luck. You're not part of my plans. Go and find a move. And, and his opinion is, is that Costa used that, but his tone was very conciliatory. His tone was just kind of, this is what happens. You know, we won the league together. We split fine, but he was very firm on what the truth was. Um, in terms of Costa pushing to go for that year. It was not Chelsea or Conte initially trying to force Costa out the door. Um, it was very much the other way around. Um, I'm going to rudely interrupt real quick. We're going to take an ad break. We're going to, we're going to say thanks to these sponsors, Financially Sporting Show. We've got a lot more. We're going to see what hit the cutting room. We're going to go into the Spurs match. I'm going to get this so we can get right back to it. Thank you, fans. We'll be right back. 2020 has been hard enough. And you know what? Worrying about your routine for taking care of business below the belt shouldn't have to be one of those things you're concerned about. Thankfully, our friends at Manscaped are making your life simple, and they're going to allow you to turn your bathroom with a snap into your very own private. This is the exact copy from text. Dong Salon. You know, they're, they're concerned about your bangers and mash. They don't want it to look like a mess. You know, they don't want it to be the worst get it bangers and mash and worst anyway they just released their products in the uk canada and australia the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer offers a replaceable ceramic blade with the advanced skin safe technology that helps reduce grooming accidents that's plus waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower and for up to 90 minutes hopefully not all in one sitting and they also released their shears 2.0 nail kit which is the perfect add-on for their lawnmower 3.0 trimmer their perfect package pun intended comes with two free gifts and other liquid formulations to help complete your ball trimming routine these formulations are all vegan cruelty free dye free sulfate free and paraffin free if you know what all those are to keep your yes this is in the text too disco stick in good hands Look, you're probably thinking about it. You know, you want to keep yourself smelling fresh. You've got the crop preserver for keeping the odor to a minimum downstairs. They've got a crop reviver toner that is spray on for the 
joules. And then they've also got a foot duster deodorant. So good, you can even reduce the odor of the dirtiest feet. All these things sound great. And you know what? They got a code for our listeners. London is blue. It's a 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com. And so, you know, if you want to protect the package and not uh, not have it be the worst, uh, go hit it up now. Manscaped.com is the code London is blue for 20% off plus free shipping. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com forward slash podcast. This is their best available offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com forward slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. I mean, look, Diego Costa was was a ball of energy, and it was all about pointing that energy in the right direction from a managerial standpoint and Conte did a great job but it, it's true I I'd forgotten stuff because at the end right you only remember the last thing they did and the last yeah. thing that happened was Diego Costa shacking up in Brazil refusing to show up and it was all about a text message and that was like a great PR move on his point yeah. you know they held on to that text message and they're like this is ridiculous. Like you won't even tell us in person. Like how can you treat us like this? And it yeah. worked to his point. But you're right. Diego Costa wanted to go to China. He wanted to go to Atletico Madrid. Then he wanted to go back to Le- like it was a bit of a saga. So I think that like that's a. It is good to remember maybe the full picture because the end was a mess and it probably hurt that that next season we just missed him so bad. I mean, even probably for a couple seasons, you know, we, we, it was like the era post Diego Costa. We're like, oh, if only we had a striker again, like Diego Costa, uh, if only we had a striker who celebrates with a fire extinguisher in the middle of a press conference after winning the league at West Brom away, if only. I am. Um, but again, you forget that in the back end after the January, when he tried to get out to China, even though they they won the title, he he really didn't have a good second half of that season. His his great form was in the first half of the season, and then his his kind of head went. You know, he he tried to go to China. The relationship with him and Conte exploded in that car park. They they tried to manage it, but his head really went. He didn't score that many goals in that second half of the season after the January. Um, and you know, Conte would have seen that. You know, that this guy. He's probably going to be useless to me next season. You know, he might not. He might not still even come back from Brazil anyway if they hadn't have sold him. You know, that that was probably. I think it's fair to speculate that was a move they were already thinking about, sort of pulling anyway. So, I mean, it was crazy times. It was great two years with Conte because so much went on. 
Well, one of the other things, just as we kind of wrap on the signings piece, you know, so he gets in Murata, he brings in uh, Bakayoko, he gets Danny Drinkwater, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, Antonio Rudiger comes in that season, Zappacosta. It's a pretty interesting window. Did he have anything else to say on just the signings that did happen as a knock-on effect of not getting the players he wanted you know, you go from Van Dyke and Lukaku to Murata and Rudiger. Um, what was his maybe expression on just like the the getting getting transfers that he wants and how that how important that is or isn't to him? Yeah, he was he was reluctant to get into transfers that maybe he didn't want. He would speak about transfers he did want. He spoke about the fact that he got in Alonso and people in the club were unsure about Alonso because he'd been playing for Fiorentina. He likes to take credit for Angelo Kante. I know there are people at Chelsea who would dispute that slightly. Um, I, I would love to take credit for Angelo Kante. Yeah, exactly. He's amazing. Can I get a percent? <laughs> <laughs> so he was happy to talk about Les. When I tried to push him on the sort of alternative players that, that came in and whether he really wanted them or whether they were forced upon him, he was a lot more reluctant to talk about that. And I, I think he saw the danger signs in terms of how that might look from the outside. And he, he was he was careful not to let the piece stray into it becoming him battling with the club again. Mm-hmm. He, he, he didn't want that. And that, that's where, where I think he, he veered away from a, a few of those questions. But I, I did try, I promise you, but I, that's probably the one area I didn't get very far with him. I mean, you, you mentioned, because it's kind of all circles around his two seasons being two of the most dynamic, interesting, kind of at-odds seasons that Chelsea has experienced in, in recent memory, right? You have the glorious highs and then the kind of following year plateau and then fall off. Uh, but he he was interested at least to talk about legacy with you, which I thought was, was interesting because I think because the fire burns so bright, you know, a lot of Chelsea fans still regard him as, as you know, and, and the the season, the title winning season is one of their favorite ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he talked about being happy with his legacy, uh, winning the title, um, reaching the FA cup final, uh, in the first year, winning it in the second, uh, transitioning to the back three, all of these things that kind of became popular. And he honestly did trend set in that first year with, with some of the play style, um, given the, you know, kind of the acrimonious split at the end, you know, how do you how do you feel like this sense of legacy will be viewed by fans? You know, after his comments, because it kind of struck me as a, a unique tone. Yeah, it is. It's really it's really interesting because there's it's a really tough split because there are still a lot of Chelsea fans who kind of love him. You know, they they react to everything that that he sort of says and does and and reminiscing on that time with really a lot of affection. Um, and then there's, there's some who are quite dismissive of, of what he what happened in the second season and quite sort of dismissive of the fact that they won't let the cost of text go. I mean, I get a lot of that reaction from people that, you know, he, he messed it up with the cost of text. And I, I think that's far too simplistic, really. I, I, I don't really think that's a massive part of why why things went wrong, if I'm honest with you. I think it's why 
they got into one situation with Costa, but I think there was a lot, lot more going on than, than simply that text. Um, so yeah, I just find it like like all all managers, they they really split opinion. There's there's still a lot of fondness though for him. Um, he was so proud of this three at the back because he he what what he argues on why he's so proud of of bringing his three at the back and the legacy is he he doesn't argue that he was the first ever person in English football to do it because he clearly wasn't. But he he believes that he was the first person in English football to do it in a way that allows the big clubs to do it without being criticised. So previously, if you played three at the back, people would only accept it if you were a club near the bottom and you were trying to just keep out goals and you were just trying to play for nil-nils or nick one-nils. And that big clubs weren't allowed to do it because it was seen as a negative tactic. And he's proud of the fact that he proved that it could be a positive tactic and it enabled big clubs to do it and people to understand that it was a good tactic and England you know funnily enough talking about big clubs in Premier League doing it that the club that have probably stolen it the most uh, well I say the club the, the team that's stolen it the most is England in the last few years you know we used it in Russia at the World Cup and we we've gone back to it and we've even put Kyle Walker in the Aspilicueta position you know we've really kind of ripped it off and I thought it was funny because he says you know he's always looking for ideas from other coaches to rob as he put it um, he was quite unashamed that, you know, if he sees something someone else is doing that's good, he'll try and steal it. So, um, yeah, it was, his legacy was interesting. I, he's, he definitely feels like he's got unfinished business in England. I mean, he, he, he was at pains to stress, and he had to, because there was an Inter Milan press officer sat next to him, that um, he's happy at Inter Milan. But he, he wants to get back, you know, not soon soon but not in the distant future either he wants to get back and have another go because I think he thinks that the scale of his achievement in his first season has been slightly overshadowed by the rows that followed and I think he wants to show that he's not a one-trick pony that it wasn't a one-off that he can come and do it again and that he can he can dominate again and he he does genuinely love England he he, he stayed living in Cobham for probably a good year or so after he got sacked which was probably quite awkward because in Cobham, it's such a small place, you'd bump into everybody all the time. Uh, look, it's probably pasta night at Antonio's on Wednesday. Some of the players <laughs> still went over there, <laughs> probably had the best wine on the block. You know, I mean, you know, I'm sure he's still around. Uh, look, I can at least speak from a supporter's perspective, right? Like having Antonio Conte at the club the first season was an absolute joyride. Uh, that man's passion. Um, the way he spoke about just football and soccer, right? The man loved that sport. He saw the beauty in it. He just, he talked about it with just such passion. It, like it, it brought us closer to the club and, and the game through, through just Antonio being Antonio. Um, I think that the second season was tough uh, because he definitely didn't get the transfers he wanted and he definitely talked about it every chance he got. And that was what was probably hard. And I think it wore on us as supporters a little bit the second season. Like, we know, but what can we still do? And it just didn't really go. But I, I would say I, almost every single supporter looks back fondly at Antonio. And if you bring him up, you still have good things to say about him. You're like, oh, I loved him when he was here. Um, and so I think it's good to hear that he felt like he had a good relationship with the fans because uh, – uh, we got to go there. Our first trip to London was actually the Middlesbrough match right at the end of the season. Pummeled them 3 nothing. Sorry, Brad Guzan, fellow American, nutmeg three times. Um, 
and the passion in Stamford Bridge, because we've been back many times now, and it hasn't always been there, maybe in the following seasons when another think, um, Italian was there. <laughs> I, I think it's the best atmosphere. That first season, I think it's the best atmosphere I've known at Stamford Bridge, when they were all singing Antonio and the, the Italian flags were out, and especially the night games. And he talked about, actually, it was really, I couldn't get this in the piece, actually. Um, he talked about how he used to use the fans so he said that he would whip up the fans because he felt the energy from the fans would transfer onto his players. And he says that it not only would motivate his players, but it would make them concentrate better. And he says he's actually having trouble with that in, in Inter now without fans because he says he uses the fans so much as a way, as a, almost a coaching method with his players to keep them focused and keep them motivated. And he, he currently can't do that, but he spoke a lot about how great it was at Chelsea, how the, he said from day one, that, and even when things started rocky with the Liverpool and Arsenal de defeats, he said from day one, they bought into it and they they transferred that passion onto the pitch for me. And that, that's what I needed. Yeah, it's it was an interesting dynamic with him too, I think, because you had just gone through Mourinho 2, rocky ending and the hitting kind of, stall essentially is what that was yeah. and then you bring in this ball of energy and passion right i think the fans were hungry for that and it kind of felt a little bit to me whether it felt like this to everyone else's um you know could be different but it felt to me like this was the start of something again kind of maybe a Mourinho one again you know bringing in someone who can kind of change the dynamic of the team, maybe change the dynamic of the, the culture inside of the stadium. And I mean, it was it maybe a little Icarus moment for us. And you know, maybe we flew a little too close to the sun um, for, for that, you know, that, that kind of two season run. But I can see his point about needing the fans. Like, I can see that he, a, a coach like that would need to feed off the energy and be able to kind of, show his players like hey you're you're playing for them not you know not me not not little old me over here um that's an interesting point matt i'm i'm glad you brought that up i i guess real quick besides that that you said didn't kind of make it is there anything else that you didn't get to squeeze in that you wished you could have i mean i'd have liked to have talked i'd have liked to have gotten to open up on on which transfers were sort of his and which weren't his of the ones they got, like like Dan brought up. I think that's a really interesting subject and I couldn't squeeze that out of him. So I'd have liked to have, to have got that out of him. I would, and the other subject which I was warned was, the only subject that I was warned by Inter Milan was probably off limits with, was Jose, because obviously Jose is a legend at Inter Milan um, and they did not want to facilitate an interview that, that could potentially damage Jose or cause a war with Jose between Inter Milan and Jose. So I wasn't really, I think he would have answered questions on Jose, but I didn't go there with him. We had enough other sort talk to him. But if I had, let's say I had part two of the interview to come and I was gonna sit down with him again and there was no Inter Milan press officer next to him, I'd be straight into Jose. Come on, how's the relationship with Jose? What about when he talks about your hair? What about when he talked about your the the match fixing allegations and what about what what you said about him. You know, I'd love to get into that and whether he regrets it or whether he's still got a sort of um, grudge against Mourinho. I, I I honestly don't know whether he has or not. I I want to know. 
do you do you think that based on your conversations with the club, based on the conversation with Antonio Conte, is the possibility for Don Conte Part Two out there? No, absolutely not. So you're telling me we're gonna have to face Antonio Conte potentially in the future if he comes back to England, unless you have a change of ownership um, under this current ownership, and not because of Abramovich. Um, but there's, there's no way Marina would hire him again. No way. She's not going through that again. And, you know, I don't blame her. The, the, the divorce was messy and it was expensive. And there's no way they're going to put themselves in that position again. So if, if Conte comes back to England, then, yeah, you'll be facing him at some stage. Nick, I mean, as a man with many ex-girlfriends like Chelsea, I'm sure you can understand. <laughs> Look, man. It gets uh... tough. It, it is. You, you, you got you got to be careful. You got to tread lightly in these situations. Matt, is there anything else from this article before we move on that you that you're like, ah, man, if I could have fit, if I could have fit this into the thing, it, it seems Jose's like you one. were pretty. Jose's the one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about Jose real quick. All right. We got Spurs at the weekend. Matt, you're on a little double duty this season. You know, Spurs, Chelsea. Yep. So this is this is kind of like the Matt Law journalist <laughs> derby this season. Um, I said something a little inflammatory at last night's podcast that I hope Jose doesn't win anything else the rest of his career unless it's at Chelsea. <laughs> but that's because I'm a Chelsea fan. I love him for what yeah, he did. Yeah. But I do not like how successful he looks right now at Spurs. This is classic. Dig in your heels. Everyone hates us. Go be the bastards. Win one nothing, And they're doing it. And this is Jose at his most dangerous. So, Matt, I, I am concerned but at the same time i've got dan balancing me out saying we're on a run we're our xg is great our goal difference is great like let's go head to head it's the best time well in terms of your form it's the best time you could you could face them and they've got aldevireld out he's out for the weekend which i think is huge for them I'm, you know I've, I've watched probably 50 50 in terms of chelsea and tottenham this season and aldevireld for me has been one of tottenham's two or three best players so I think that's that's a massive plus for Chelsea. You're right, he's he's he has got them going though. It's a classic Mourinho second season. His second seasons are always good. He he gets a bit of what he wants from the board. He gets a bit of what he wants transfer-wise. Um none of the rows have started happening. The the players are invested in him. They've progressed enough that they can see that they might win a trophy with this guy. And he is what he's great at is when things are going well, he's great at just instilling that confidence and motivation into players. It's when things, when he hits a crisis, whether it be an injury crisis, a form crisis, an argument of some side, that's when I think he's, he struggles with his management. But when things are going well, he's, there's not many better at just keeping the, the motivation, keeping everyone high going. And he's in a good place. He is in a good place. Weirdly, I've come off a press conference with him 20 minutes before we started this and he's, He's all smiles. He's happy. He's he's in a good place. Happy Jose is just a weird thing. It's always hard to <laughs> connect that emotion to him. Though, I mean, with his Instagram nowadays, he definitely has shown a much different side of him to the, the public than we've seen previously. So when you think about just this match in terms of the context of the season ahead, Matt, Obviously, I think, you know, Mourinho and, and Frank might downplay the, you know, the significance over the entirety of the season. That's just a match. You know, they're going to want to win it. You're going to hear the standard sound bites from your read. Who is this match more important for to take a win 
and then maybe as a follow-up, would both of them be okay, even though they wouldn't say it publicly, taking a draw out of this and then focusing on the next big competition that they have? Wow, Dan, you should be doing my job. That first part of the question is a great question. Who's it more important <laughs> for? Wow. Um, you could make an argument for both. I think it's probably marginally more important for Tottenham, marginally, because I think, like I said, that if they're going to succeed, it's going to be by leading from the front. It's going to be by being high, by Mourinho keeping them high, him just having to feed in the bits of motivation and, and stuff. That's what he's good at. He's good at leading rather than chasing, I think. Um, I think I once likened him a little bit to Tiger Woods, who I always find quite into my golf. And if Tiger Woods is at the top of a leaderboard, you're not catching him. If he's chasing, then maybe he tries to chase too hard and things start to fall down a little bit. And I, I always felt that with Mourinho. If he's at the top, chasing him down becomes very difficult. But when he's trying to force things, he, he makes mistakes. So for that reason, marginally Tottenham, marginally. But it's not a huge game in that, you know, Nick was saying before we started, and he's dead right, nothing is going to be decided on this match. Absolutely nothing. But it's just that feeling of keeping the run going for both teams. It's You, you just get the sense that someone's balloon's going to pop a little bit on this match. And it it's not a big game in the context of the full season, I don't think, but it's a, it's a big game for the here and now. So... You're looking at this match, and I think you know, let's play a little scenario game. Uh, it's the 20th minute on Sunday. Uh, you're you get a feeling that Chelsea are going to win the match because of blank, and and the same for Spurs. Is there is there like a key that you're looking for? Is it the midfield? Is it you know how both teams are defending? Is it how Tottenham are set up in a 11 behind the ball? What's your what's your sense of, of how Sunday might well, go? Well, I, I would imagine that Tottenham and Mourinho will do his his classic of trying to sit deep and and catch Chelsea on the break because, you know, we know that Chelsea like to press high. We know that Chelsea under Lampard like a lot of possession. They like to dominate games. And a bit like we saw with Tottenham against Man City, I think Mourinho will probably think, let's let them do that. Let's defend well, defend deep, and then try and hit them with Son. I mean, everyone obviously, or there's been a lot of talk about Kane, but that pace from Son for the counter-attack is, is massive for them. And I don't know how much Tottenham you get to watch, but one player who's huge for them in terms of defensively is, is Hojbjerg, who, who they've signed. He's like their Nemanja Matic. He's he's classic Mourinho Matic player. Um, and... He he will be there, sit in front of the sort of back four, um, and just try and, and and pick the ball off the the Chelsea players and, and get a counter attack going. So I do think it's going to Chelsea are going to have to be patient because if they if they fly forwards too much and they'll probably have a lot of possession and a lot of chances, but they've got to be careful at the back because Guardiola said it himself on the counter attack. There's, there's probably not a better counter-attacking team. They're, they're, they are very clinical on the counter-attack, very clinical. They they need two or three chances in a match to score a couple of goals. All right, last one, because we're biased. Christian Pulisic, do you have any insight on him and his health? He going to be there, be around in the squad? I think he will, yeah. Frank, Frank was quite positive about him when I spoke to him in the week ahead of the Champions League game. Look, I... 
I think Pulisic will be in today, but we, you know we're talking on Wednesday, and a lot of the players are off, so I won't get any intel today. But um, I think he was positive that he would be involved. He's clearly. I'd be extremely surprised if he's going to start because Frank's got a lot of options up there at the moment, and it doesn't seem worth the risk. But I think Frank will want to have him on the bench if he can, if he needs that impact, if he needs that goal. But I'm a little bit worried about Pulisic because it's a little bit. We're not getting an awful lot of kind of concrete information of what's actually up with him other than just that he keeps kind of breaking down a bit and I always get a bit worried when the details around injuries are sketchy and the details around his injuries are a little bit sketchy well I did not mean to open Pandora's box right at the end here but uh to be continued with Matt and his diagnosis on Christian yikes Oh, that went a little parachute. But hey, we appreciate the insight. You know, it's great to have you on, Matt. Uh, look, this Antonio article is fantastic. Everyone, it'll be linked in the description. Uh, go check it out. Um, you know, thank you for the for the Spurs insight. I think this one's going to be great. So again, another Matt Law special in the books. Thank you, sir. Enjoy the weekend. Cheers, guys. Awesome. All right, Chelsea fans, that's going to wrap us up. We'll be back with the match preview for Spurs. But hey, enjoy yourselves a couple days before we get into it. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.